I was going to try to climb into the free pulpit, but I was afraid it wouldn't just be the morning that was broken when I came down, it would be the other arm. When I was in graduate school, one of the ways I found to make a little extra money was to become a mystery shopper. Maybe you've heard of mystery shoppers. They were really popular a couple of decades ago. People that were hired by a business to come in incognito and give their first impressions. When, when all of the mystery shoppers came together at the end of the assignment, it was always eye-opening to see how much we agreed or disagreed on our impressions. Now, I know there may not be mystery shoppers in church, but I know that people church shop. I get that. We may have a few shoppers here today, which is fine. I admit it can be really difficult to find a good church, much less to find the perfect church because we all have different ideas for what makes a perfect church. For some, the perfect church may be one where people think like we do or worship like we do or shares all our same religious views. For others, the perfect church may be one where no one ever gets their feelings hurt. Still others may think of the perfect church as one that has a beautiful sanctuary. I think we'd all probably agree, though, that the best and worst part of the church is the same thing, the people, <laughs> congregation and clergy. Because <laughs> when we come together as community, even in the church, disharmony and conflict can happen. We know this at Myers Park Baptist Church because our church covenant even speaks to it. Well, this was the problem for the church at Philippi that Paul was writing to. And so he was writing to the Christians there to plead for unity. There were a couple people fighting in the church, and there was also people seeking to turn the congregation away from what was true. Disharmony and conflict were the problems for the church at Philippi. And I find it interesting that these are still issues churches face today. Disharmony and conflict can happen everywhere we go. The places we work, the neighborhoods we live in, even in our families. So it shouldn't be too much of a surprise when it happens in the church. In addition to finding it interesting that the church today faces the same issues as the early church, I also find today's scripture passage encouraging. I find it encouraging because the same advice Paul gave to the Philippian church is still so relevant to churches today. Paul lays out some considerations which ought to help congregations prevent conflict and promote unity, which we heard this morning. First, the fact that we are all in Christ should keep us united. Paul says to be one in spirit and purpose. It's okay to have disagreements. Certainly they're going to happen sometimes. We learn from those disagreements and we learn from living in community what it means to be a follower of Jesus. 
But Paul tells the Christians at Philippi that we should not seek to glorify ourselves, but to glorify God. In other words, let God use us for God's purposes. The follower of Christ, Paul says, must think always of others and of what will ultimately bring God glory, no matter what our own personal preferences are. What that might look like today would be setting aside aesthetics or our own personal taste if it means bringing new people into our community. Or maybe it means being willing to change some things around sometimes, whether that's worship or program times, childcare availability, or committee structures in order to accommodate new friends. Another consideration Paul lays out for the church to keep us in unity is the power of Christian love. Paul talks about having love for one another. Spiritual love never seeks anything but the good of others. It's different than simple human love. Human love is directed at another person for his or her own sake. But spiritual love loves the person for Christ's sake. It's not just a reaction of our heart or an emotion we feel, but a victory of our will achieved by the help of God. This is so important to the Christian life and it affects us time and time again. Love for God and love for neighbor are intertwined. You can't have one without the other. If we love God, then we love each other also. By loving each other, and that's being loving by the things we say and do, we show God that we love God. Third, Paul says, if we have compassion for each other, then that should keep us united in Christ. Paul talks about compassion in verse one that we read. And that's something that flows freely from having love for each other. At every church I've served in every community I've lived in, I've met people who have stopped going to church because they got their feelings hurt. Someone in the congregation said or did something that was hurtful. A decision was made that somebody didn't agree with, or somehow the church let them down. I don't knock anyone's feelings and experiences. I have my own. I personally have had more than one experience like that, both as a lay person and in ordained ministry. And I can tell you, it can make you want to leave the church, to stop going not to just that particular church, but to any church. If you are one of those people who've been hurt or offended by someone in some church in your lifetime, I don't make light of your experience. My own was deeply hurtful. It caused me to question organized religion and whether or not I wanted to spend my life being a part of that. You've probably heard it said that the church is full of hypocrites. And there have been times in my life where I have thought that to be true. But as I worked through the pain, and you have to work through the pain, not hold on to it, 
then I came to realize that the church may be full of hypocrites, but we can't hold that against the church if a few of them sneak in and worship with us on Sunday mornings. I remember Jesus' words that it's those who are sick who need the physician. I have seen all too often how we can be so quick to judge and condemn one another, although we all have faults. Now we can and should hold each other accountable, hold each other to a higher standard, but we have to take care that we don't lose our compassion for one another. There's a famous book by a famous theologian called The Imitation of Christ by Thomas Akempis. He writes of this in his book. He says, be not angry that you cannot make others as you wish them to be, since you cannot make yourself as you wish to be. And you probably know the famous author Leo Tolstoy who once wrote, everybody thinks of changing other people, but nobody thinks of changing themselves. Good words for all of us. I learned throughout my own personal encounters with a few of those hypocrites, some of those people that had hurt me and let me down, that the church is filled with all kinds of people, and we all need to be here. We all have scars that can't be seen. We all need the grace and guidance of the church. Maybe some of us even more. Because if you believe that faith is a journey, then you have to acknowledge that not everyone is at the same place in their spiritual journey. I know we dream of a church where everyone lives in total harmony and no one ever makes mistakes or offends us or makes a decision we don't agree with. But what we really long for cannot be found on earth. So instead of perfect, what if the church could be real instead, authentic? What if we're meant to learn from each other? You see, we grow by being with people who are different than we are. What if the trials that we cause each other could actually strengthen us? What if the times we have conflict in our community could actually bring us closer to God and closer to fulfilling God's vision? I believe this was Paul's hope for the church at Philippi. And it is my hope for the church as well. Paul's final appeal to the church at Philippi in the matter of their disharmony is to point to the example of Christ. Now, anytime Paul thinks and speaks of Jesus, his interests and intentions were never just intellectual or theoretical. There was always a practical side. To Paul, theology and action are always tied together. You can't have one without the other. Any system of thought we had have must become a way of life. So if we really believe in Christ and his teachings, then we must follow his example. Paul urges the church to put away selfishness and to look to the interests of others. Maybe we can do this in several ways today. 
Maybe looking to the interest of others means giving your time to serve and teaching our children and youth. Or maybe looking to the interests of others means welcoming people as they walk through our doors. Or maybe it's just recognizing that some people may walk through our doors because of who we say we are and not just how the building looks. Maybe looking to the interests of others means that some things may have to change to be a place where everyone feels comfortable. You might remember this important concept from science class. According to Darwin's Origin of Species, it is not the most intellectual of the species that survives, nor is it the strongest. It is the one best able to adapt and adjust to the changing environment in which it finds itself. I think the same could be said of the church. Those churches that will continue to thrive in a world where we know church affiliation is declining are those that will adapt and adjust. And likewise, the church's members will have to adapt and adjust. Looking to the interests of others also means giving our financial resources to the church and not holding back so we can expand our reach. Not because we believe that the church is perfect or we're waiting for the church to be perfect, but because we trust that God already is. Paul also says that our attitude should be the same as Jesus Christ. He goes on to say that the magnificence of Jesus is that he willingly gave up his divinity in order to become a human. Christ didn't come to be served, he came to serve others. Likewise, we aren't here to be served, we're here to learn how to serve others and how to bring others into this community. The great characteristics of Jesus' life were his humility, obedience, and self-sacrifice. Jesus didn't want to dominate humanity, only to serve them. He didn't insist on his own way, but only God's way. He didn't give up and walk away when the going got tough. So if these were the characteristics of the life of Christ, shouldn't they be ours as well? So I ask all of us to reflect this morning. Are we doing that? Is our primary focus on God, on loving others? Or are you so busy looking for the 10% that isn't perfect that you miss the 90% that is good? Before I close, I want to read you a poem I came across many, many years ago in ministry that I think fits well with our message today. If you should find the perfect church without fault or smear, please don't join that church. You'd spoil the atmosphere. If you should find the perfect church where all anxieties cease, then pass it by, lest joining it, you'd mar the masterpiece. If you should find the perfect church, then don't you ever dare 
To tread upon such holy ground, you'd be a misfit there. But since no perfect church exists, made of imperfect humans, then let's cease looking for that church and strengthen and love the one we're in. Of course it's not a perfect church, that's easy to discern. But you and I and all of us could cause the tide to turn. So let's keep working in our church until the resurrection, and then we each will join God's church without an imperfection. I want to let you know, in case you were wondering, that there has never been a perfect church. Not in Paul's day, not in ours. I do think there are healthy and unhealthy churches because the church is the body of Christ. We are all members of the body, and every member serves the body, either to its health or to its destruction. There is room for improvement in every church. But the fact that there are no perfect churches shouldn't keep us from doing all we can to strengthen and build up the body of Christ. Our scripture today is a great encouragement to work to make the church all it can be. And as we begin this journey of Lent, it's the perfect time to reflect on what more we can do or not do to have a healthy church for everyone. So the secret to a perfect church is not so secret after all. It calls us to open our lives more fully to the Spirit of God, working in this congregation and in our lives. And it calls us to be more like Christ, with God's help, full of love for each other, one in spirit and purpose, humble and looking to the interests of others. God can transform us into a worthy instrument for use in God's kingdom. Through this church and beyond, where we will continually seek to move onward to perfection. Because when we move onward toward perfection, so does the church. Amen.